A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum, to steal a line out, make a break and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend, for one team to become champions. And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries, and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide, and he finds a winger. Oiderman, he's faster than a bald man's haircut. Oiderman, and he gets the try. What a heartbreaker. Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 71 with your hosts, Dan Powell and Pete Steinberg. Hello, you beautiful people. Welcome to another MLR Kickoff podcast. Dan Powell with you. The professor, Pete Steinberg, always ready and available to drop some rugby knowledge. Pete, how are you, buddy? Busy. You're a busy man, I hear. I am. I am. It's, uh, um, it, it's become... A very busy month. November for work has been a little bit off the charts, but that's good considering, you know, there wasn't much work in like April, May and June. So, so pretty happy, but definitely busy. How about you, Dan? Yeah, the same. Same. We're starting to get busy again. Um, we'll see what happens. Though. We'll see what happens still. We have, uh, we, we have sleet here. What's it like? It, yes, what, what, a, little, yeah. a little here as well. Uh, the Honourable Ned Stark, his words ringing true here. Winter is coming and... Um, you know, you're going to have to keep warm. And you know how I like to keep warm, Pete? I like to keep warm by going to the Rugby Shop, who are great sponsors of the MLR Kickoff podcast. So remember to go to shop at shopmlr.com, powered by the Rugby Shop, for all your MLR apparel needs. Get There's a, a, nice a lot of cool in- stuff on there. I was impressed. I went, I went there and looked. There's, a, there's definitely something for everyone on that site. There is. There is. What would you get? If you got a voucher for a hundred dollars, say, what would you buy? Oh, it's interesting, you know, because um, there's there are people that play rugby that are um, real uh, lovers of kit, right? Like, like you know, they they collect it, and they. I'm not really, I'm not really one of those. Um, I have, I have a ton of stuff. I mean, I wear it. Um, I have, like, especially, I have, like. 15 USA t-shirts all from the uh, Rio Olympics that Nike gave, like they, they give them out. You just get a ton. I still wear those. It's like four years later. So it's not, I don't wear them, but I'm not sure. I think that um, I would start, I, I think I might start a collection of my favorite jerseys. I think there's some really cool jerseys out there. I think, I think the MLR teams have done, have, have done a, a good, I think, I think like Nola gold might be my first, purchase what would be your first purchase of uh oh, why, do you, why do you even ask I the just, I'm, just, I'm trying to figure out if that was a subtle dig that you still wear the same size clothes from four years ago uh because uh some I'm of us so on the show don't I'm, I'm i'm so much older than you that like i got to that point where i got bigger and bigger and now i've just leveled off like like Flat now i'm just getting smaller right now everything's just like i'm getting shorter and i'm getting smaller that's the that's what happens when you get to my age oh uh, well I look forward to it. Hopefully I can get there and hopefully we're still doing this when I do because uh, we're going to talk a little bit more development. We've got two great guests lined up for the show today. We have Scott Lawrence, head coach and GM from Rugby ATL and Corey Hector, the academy director and assistant coach, uh, also very, very heavily entrenched in the college game up there in Ontario, joining us. 
And Pete, you know, we had the announcement of Guy Hagen as, uh, you know, the youth development officer for MLR. This pause in the world and in our world of sports has given a lot of time to, to probably focus on things that haven't had attention, you know, up to this because we've been so busy. Do you think this will be a positive coming out of COVID that they've had a chance to look at the youth side of the game and really invest time in it? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a positive. I don't know if that's something that has happened because of COVID. Um, you know, the, when I talk to teams, they see that as the future. It's, um, I, think, I think for many teams, you know, depending on where you are, and, you know, we'll, we'll hear about this from um, Scott McCorry, you know, for, you know, obviously the, the development of grassroots initiatives and academies is about finding players, but it's also about building brands. And, you know, um, my four-year-old daughter plays in the Colorado Rapids Youth League, right? And they wear Colorado Rapids jerseys. And, and I think that it's, you know, these, it, it's a way of, of really developing the brands. I, I, I actually think it, it, asks, it answers a question about Major League Rugby. And, and I think what I would say, Dan, is that COVID has removed some of the other things that we might talk about. And so these teams were probably doing it anyway, but now it's the bit of rugby that we get to talk about. Um, because there's not other stuff that, that that's going on. And I think it's great. And I think it answers the question for Major League Rugby about what are they going to do to help grow the game. And um, you can see every team is doing something to help grow the game, to improve the quality, um, and to find players of the future. And that will fuel you know, the Canadian national team, the you know, U.S. national team, but also it will help develop um, players that can – fill future expansion franchises, which is a big question that we have. So I think all of this stuff is good for the future of rugby and in North America and the future of the league. Well, let's not stand on ceremony. Let's jump into it with our first guests from Rugby ATL. It's Scott Lawrence. Joining us now is the general manager of the uh, newly named uh, Atlanta Rattlesnakes. So Scott Lawrence, thanks for joining the show, brother. How are you holding up down there in Atlanta, Georgia? We're doing well here. It's uh, we've been open, uh, been able to train and, and play a little bit this fall, and it's been uh, we've been incredibly grateful for it. So it's a good part of the country to be in right now. Well, let's just jump onto the rebranding first. I want to kind of just address that you come out as the uh, the rattlesnakes. It was kind of uh, an unofficial moniker that was placed on the team this inaugural season. You've embraced it. Chance Wangluski, the uh, quite the artist, he put up the mural on the wall. What was the thought process behind kind of embracing that and, and uh, going with the rattlesnakes? The rattler came from the fan base. It was actually our our fan club that called themselves the Sin Band, and they came up with the rattler. So, is actually kind of uh, initiated with them, and they came up with the characteristics of it, and they began to unofficially call themselves the Rattlers during games. And then we just kind of leveraged that and said, okay, well, um, our, our, our logo, our, our brand is still rugby ATL, but our fan base and is the Rattlers. And, and so we have some creative folks in house in our Academy and chance. And we just kind of uh, went from there. Well, I, I personally love it. I think it's a great little thing. We've got to get Stone Cold Steve Austin, the uh, the Texas rattlesnake, to adopt the Atlanta yeah. team rugby ATL now. Yeah. Now, let's just talk about the abbreviated season, uh, rugby ATL kickoff. Um, as we expect with any Scott Lawrence side, highly motivated, fit, disciplined team. What were your thoughts on the shortened season from your side? 
Uh, I thought, uh, you know, it, when you're getting started in your first year and you're just trying to bring together players, it's kind of like trying to put the wings on a plane while you're flying it at the same time. And, you know, as you, as you do that, you end up, um, you, you don't really get to know your players as well as you can to get the most out of them and find the best combination. So I felt like the five game season, although it was cut short, was actually a blessing to us because we got to find out all of those things about ourselves and our organization and our team. And then the season stopped and we got to, now we had a few months to go fix those things and we had a lot to do. So I think it was a, it was a start, not as, uh, not as good as we wanted, but um, actually a blessing. Yeah. During that little stretch, who are some players that stood out that you weren't, maybe weren't expecting too much off in year one or, or you had, uh, you know, a, a different opinion off and it really jumped out off the page for you in those five games who have kind of solidified themselves moving forward? I think Vili Halu. Um, we, we had high hopes for Vili. And uh, he, he came in last year. I think he showed what he was capable of. He just wasn't physically robust enough to do that over the course of a full game uh, coming straight out of college. So if you see Vili now, he's 20 pounds heavier. Um, you know, he's immensely more strong and he's going to be more robust going into this year. So I think he showed some glimpses for us uh, last year. And then Xander Van Skalquik was a guy that, uh, it was just, you know, kind of got thrown into the lineup due to injuries and other things. You know, he, he's a local guy and uh, he's actually uh, did really well at fullback for us and uh, created some opportunities. So I think he'll, he's again improved since last year. I saw him play again last night and some of the things we sent him away from after five games he's, he's worked on. So I think he'll be a, a contributor this year. Yeah, I, t- I got to tell you, I was super impressed with the work you guys did with uh, Jerry, Jeremy Misselanu and uh, the Missile there and Martini Talapusi, two guys who have played a lot of domestic rugby, but I felt you really got the best out of both those guys, the best they've looked probably in the last five years at Rugby ATL. So there was a lot of positives coming out of those games. I think I had two of your games, the NOLA game down in the, the rain down there in New Orleans, and yeah. then that last game at Old Glory. So those guys looking good. But let's turn the page and look forward now. You, yeah. You've just finished up uh, an abbreviated run with the 404, your academy side. Tell us a little bit about the ethos of the 404, what its role is in rugby ATL, and then how things came out for you this fall playing some rugby. The 404 is uh, it's actually it's the pathway 404, and it starts from the way that we support grassroots, and that is more just encouraging fun and participation and club growth uh, at, at a young age. U19s, we're trying to prepare them to hopefully go into varsity environments where they can improve through their collegiate career. And then the 404 is kind of this, I'd say it's a bridge between what I'd call club, maybe collegiate rugby, and then MLR. And if you look at the last two years, and then if if you take a look around the league at the signings that are coming in and the movement that's happening, that gap is getting bigger and bigger. So the 404 is meant to kind of bridge that gap, uh, provide a professional environment, play against and with contracted players and get coaching from MLR coaches. And then um, hopefully, you know, some of them will make it to MLR this year. Some of them, it'll be a year or a year and a half before they get there. 
but we're willing to invest in that because we believe strongly that we can get them there, uh, our, our domestic players. Yeah, you've had some you know, players in the 404 actually sign for other MLR teams as well. So that, yeah. uh, that's obviously being looked at as a catchment for other teams in the area as yeah. well. So I know it kind of uh, isn't the, the ideal for development for the side. You want to keep that talent, but it's also got to make you pretty proud that other teams are focusing oh, on the team. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It, you know, my ambition, our ambition is to put American players in the league. So if they don't, if they don't stay with us, if we're not able to sign them, or maybe they're not in our depth chart and they can go somewhere else. Um, we send them on their way and, you know, we're more than welcome to share with the coaches that are picking them up, everything that we did with them. We just want to see them be successful and play in the league. Now you're, you're a guy who's coached and been involved at pretty much every level of rugby in America. And, and the three big ones outside of youth and high school it goes college, MLR, and then the Eagles. And you, that's really where you've spent the majority of your you know, coaching career with Life University, with the USA Eagles, and now with Rugby ATL. What's the pathway? What, what in your mind is the right pathway for a young player, 16, 17-year-old, to get to the Eagles through the MLR? I think the first thing is to uh, start to play with representative players in an, I'd say an academy like setting, but get as much rep play as you can. And there's a lot of opportunities for that. All the MLR teams now have academies that you can associate yourself with. There's also um, academies like ERA and other places. So the first step is to take more than what you do at uh, your club week in and week out. You need to supplement that and you need to get yourself to four to five days a week in a training environment. I think from there, it's to find the right um, academic as well as uh, performance environment that's going to suit you and prepare you uh, to go into the MLR, if college is your thing. Uh, if you're going to go into a trade school, which we see a lot of energy around that, we think that's an exciting proposition is to have players go into trade school and then start their journey into uh, one of the academies that the MLR teams are running. All right, mate. Let's look towards 2021 now. Uh, what can fans expect from Rugby ATL? I think you'll see us. We, we started with an expansive game plan uh, last year. I think the thing you're going to see from us is more of that. Uh, we've added a little bit of X Factor with uh, Batu Asakura. Uh, this in the offseason, he's going to provide us uh, some opportunity as well as Aite Rangatira Watokia. Uh, in the in the at 15 so you're going to see us be a little bit more dynamic with ball in hand um, we didn't quite have the skill level to play the way we wanted to play last year we knew it was going to be a journey but uh, we've been away for the last uh, six months really working hard on that and coaching staff is back you're keeping everyone uh, from the the back room involved for 2021 we have some we'll have some change over there this year we had <clears throat> our attack coach uh has uh, decided to uh, to stay in New Zealand, and so uh, we're going to reshuffle a little bit uh, on the coaching staff. But uh, we should be announcing that here shortly. Right, I uh, I for one am very excited. It was a, it was a good start, a positive start. East Coast is becoming quite uh, quite the strong conference too, and that rivalry with New Orleans continues to build. I uh, enjoyed that quite a lot. That game down there on yeah. the gold mine. Well, Brady, I won't hold you. It's uh, a busy man, of course, away from rugby as well. So plenty going on. Appreciate you joining the show and we look forward to catching Rugby ATL in 2021, kicking some goals. All right. Thanks for having me on.
Perfect. Thank you very much. And Pete, uh, a man, like I said, who's been involved in, in all aspects of rugby in the United States, both as a player, as a coach, and now an administrator. You actually coached Scott back in the day as well. So I did. maybe a, a couple of Steinbergisms rubbing off on him there. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I have a lot of time for Scott. I, I don't know that there's a, um, a coach that, a smarter coach. I mean, the guy is just, he's, he's absolutely brilliant. The way he thinks about the game is brilliant, but the way he thinks holistically you know, I think the, the, the biggest challenge we have as, as coaches is that we tend to think about the game that's coming up, the practice we just had. And Scott's able to do that. He's also able to look three years ahead and think strategically. And he's a systems thinker. So he puts things together that work together. And I, you know, Atlanta's lucky to have him. And I think that, um, you know, I, I think that that idea of him being an administrator and a coach, he's one of the few guys that could really fill both of those roles. Well, it wouldn't be a podcast without some pop culture, Pete. And I've already thrown Game of Thrones out there once. I'll stay on the Game of Thrones theme. Ned Stark gets a mention as the warden in the north. Now we're going north of the wall to where the wildlings and the arrows play. Up to Toronto as Corey Hector. He joins us for a quick chat as well about their programs and pathways and everything Toronto Arrows. All right, we are joined now by Corey Hector from the Toronto Arrows, a man who wears... Many hats, or what is it? Keeps many arrows in his quiver. Is that a better one, Pete, with a Toronto reference? <laughs> Good job, man. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Corey, God. thanks for joining the show, brother. How are things up in Toronto? Yeah, really great. It's actually, it's like a summer's day here. I'll be out in shorts later, about 20 degrees Celsius. So it's a good time in November. Well, you know what? It's, uh, it's always a good thing in Toronto when it's uh, about 10 degrees warmer than it is in Colorado. So... I'm a little jealous there of the shorts weather. But we're here to talk a little bit of rugby, not weather. Uh, I'll leave the, uh, the weather reviews to our you know, local weather men and women to take care of that. But tell us a little bit about your role and how you got involved with the Arrows. Yeah, for sure. So my role is a director of the Arrows Academy. Um, I guess I'll start from the beginning. As I, I worked my way through Rugby Ontario. as um, started with as like a U17 coach, U18 coach, uh, and then moved my way up to the the senior Ontario Blues, which were sort of the, the predecessor to the Toronto Arrows. Um, so it was a little bit of right place, right time. Um, I was coaching with the senior Ontario Blues staff when the opportunity uh, for the creation of the Arrows came about. So it was a part of their inaugural season, um, exhibition season, I should say, as the Ontario Arrows. Um, I was part of the inaugural season as the, the Toronto Arrows. I worked as the attack coach. And then after year one, um, we saw an opportunity to begin creating an academy. So I was able to um, spearhead that uh, largely with my connection through the universities and, and through the representative age grade programs. Um, I, I began to take that on and began to build that up, um, starting with our, what I'll call our senior academy, our post-secondary age group, which we had uh, last year for about three months before everything was canceled. And then over, over this past few months, uh, starting to build, build some alignment with Rugby Ontario and build out our, our junior academy, which would be sort of our 15 to 18-year-old uh, group. Now, Corey, you know, for those uh, listeners that are in the U.S., they may not realize what a hotbed of rugby Ontario is. Lots of sort of varsity high school teams, lots of good college teams. How did you guys go about building sort of your strategy for the development of this academy? Like, like it, there's so much going on there, and Ontario is already there doing a lot of that work. So how do you also connect with them? Yeah, um, 
we are we are really lucky just in terms of how much structured organization there is around. Um, one of the things, uh, one of our first tasks was sort of looking at where did our players come from currently within the Toronto Arrows. Um, so I think uh, going off last year's roster, there was about 17 or the year before, about 17 of the current Arrows had come through the Ontario University uh, system. Um, so we knew that that, that that system was already producing uh, future Arrows. Um, so we looked at how could we um, work with them and further develop them. So myself being a university rugby coach um, and the connections built there. And then my colleague, uh, who's our scrum coach, Dave Butcher, who's also a university rugby coach. Um, we, we worked together, worked along with all the other coaches to identify the top players in our league um, to, to start forming that academy. We also have a, a college league. So in, in Canada, we sort of call like universities um, and then community colleges, essentially. Um, but the, the college league also has 10, 10 teams in a, in a structured league. And there's also a club system. So we were able to sort of tap into three leagues um, for, for player ID um, for, for athletes the age of kind of 23 and under. Um, so because of those strong structures that we felt that was the place to go. And that's why we were able to draw so many future arrows. Um, and then thinking about, you know, furthermore um, with those with those athletes and where they come from, I think 19 had come through the Rugby Ontario system as well. Um, so that's the age grade system and into the Ontario Blues or the former Ontario Blues uh, at the senior level. Um, so that was the logical next step. So working with Rugby Ontario um, to see what their needs were, what their appetite was to, to work alongside of us. Um, one of their big identified need was, was just sort of to create like an aligned curriculum. Um, so that was something that Dave and I worked hard on over, over the course of kind of March through till September. Um, working closely with Rugby Ontario's uh, high performance manager and their high performance coordinator to make sure that we could have a program and a curriculum that they could roll out uh, across the three regions, um, which we've created as well. So it sounds like the, the arrows are, you know, a sort of working as a, you know, in support of the structures that are already there, as opposed to kind of create your own structures. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think we wanted to leverage uh, the strengths that are already that are already here in Ontario, especially, but then you know starting to branch out as well um, without reinventing the wheel. Um, continue to build strong partnerships and then look to fill gaps um, where they currently exist. So, for example, um, at the university level, just given our climate, our season only runs from September till late November. Um, so those athletes, while they do train from January through to April when university ends, you know, there's not a lot of competition and they might only train once or twice a week. Um, so we looked at offering, could we offer several more hours of, of training for the, for the high performing athletes and bring them together from a, a number of different institutions at two regional sites. So leveraging the strengths that already existed and that way we didn't, we didn't need to pull them in for strength and conditioning because they had that at their own university. We didn't need to have a you know, have them in four days a week, five days a week, because they were going to get a few sessions with, um, with their own institution anyway. So it, it, again, it was just sort of using our partners and, and trying to fill a gap that existed. Now, you know, you've talked a lot about the curriculum, sort of the player development piece. What about the competitive side? Do you see yourselves pr providing supplemental competition at a higher level? Or do you feel like the competition that's going on, certainly at the age grade at the university is sufficient? Um, it's sort of a mixed bag, to be honest. Um, with the age grade, we believe that the provincial competitions that they're already in is, is of good standard. 
Um, and what we feel we can do is we'll develop those athletes across a number of age grades, and then they'll return to those programs because we do feel that those programs are going to be, you know, they've proven success and we don't want to take opportunities away from those athletes. So our whole mandate is to create additional opportunities. So while we'll train them, you know, it's a very skills development, um, skills focused environment so that they can go back to their representative sides or their club sides or their high school sides um, and use those skills and they can fit into whatever game shape their coaches choose to play. At the university side, um, while, while the university competition is good, it's, it's only 14, 13 games at the very high end. Um, so we do need to find additional competitions. So we're working both domestically um, and then certainly down the road or hopefully within the next year, trying to, trying to line up some exhibition games with other MLR Academy sides to create that additional competition. So sort of yes to both, um, leveraging again, the, the provincial uh, and the Canadian national championships for the juniors and then looking for additional opportunities for our senior group. So we had the draft this year, Corey, and it, and it shone a spotlight on some eligibility things that uh, the U.S. colleges kind of deal with. What's the structure in Canada? Obviously, with the season going at the back end of the year, September to November, leaves a large window of time during the MLR season. Are you able to pull from the talent pool in the colleges without affecting their eligibility? This, or is it the same as the U.S.? And how are you guys navigating that relationship? No, at the moment, um, there because um, it's not governed technically by uh, U Sports, which is the Canadian NCAA. Um, so each province is is run sort of separately. So, for instance, in in Ontario, we're we're governed by the Ontario University Athletics, um, and there's no. Actually, we, we had a pilot program with them to allow players to play professionally um, and not, not compromise their eligibility. At West, because they play in a club league um, for like the UBCs and UVICs, who are the perennial powerhouses out there where, where players have come from, uh, they play in, uh, in a club league, which Seattle Saracens play a part of. Um, so it, it doesn't compromise um, eligibility there as well. Um, so, the, you know, while we don't have anybody currently enrolled in university, we have had players in the past that have been sort of, they play a, a winter schedule or sorry, a, a fall schedule with their university and then go in and play uh, the arrows uh, through the winter. Now, when, you know, we've talked a lot about the Toronto Arrows and Ontario, but you're the only pathway to an MLR side um, in Canada. So do you guys look beyond that? You know, you talked about out West, are there players that you've identified? Do you, is the goal to recruit people into the academy from around Canada or to stay focused on, on, on Ontario? No, I think we, we, we're definitely looking at how can, we, how can we branch out into the other provinces. Um, I think given we don't have a residential academy yet, so it will be very hard to bring players, especially younger players, in. Um, because we just we're not in a, in, in a, in a space to to house them um, and and give them you know you know pay for their accommodations things like that. So what we're looking at doing is is taking the model that currently exists, especially in our junior academy here, and looking at how to replicate that in, in other provinces. And and sometimes it means replicating, sometimes it might mean tweaking, just given the size of the province or or what they have going on. But again, working with the provincial leads there. Um, to figure out what's the best case. So I've, I've spoke with, last week I spoke with um, Rugby Nova Scotia. I have a call set up with Rugby Quebec to discuss some opportunities there and, and, and have I've spoke with, you know, moving further west. Um, so 
it might not be bringing people in, but certainly finding, you know, what structures exist out there and how can we best support or work alongside them. Um, when, when, when you look at the, you know, you talked about 19 players coming through the Ontario program to become arrows. When, when you look at those players that they come through and when you look at your academy, you now have a unified approach that allows you to create the players that the arrows want, right? So can you talk a little bit about maybe what some of the natural strengths are? are the, of, of, you know, what are the natural strengths of the players that are currently in Ontario that kind of come through and where you think you can have a big impact in making a difference that might help them in, in, in their MLR careers? Yeah. Um, so I think some of the natural strengths and maybe, you know, it's probably exemplified by how the, the arrows play are just that sort of gritty style um, where I think we'll, we'll constantly have very, very hard to play against forwards, um, very abrasive type forwards, good scrum. Um, and then, you know, very, very capable backs um, who, who can capitalize on the space created by those forwards. The other piece I think is they're exceptionally hardworking and that, and that's something that we're looking at instilling within the Academy. So through the academy, we've developed a set of behaviors and a set of attributes um, that we feel are necessary, necessary to be good professionals and good Toronto Arrows in the future. Um, so while we've developed a curriculum, we've also been very explicit to the coaches that we're working with about how to, how to hopefully create these behaviors, look for these behaviors. And a lot of them are just built on you know, resilience, work ethic, um, that robustness that's needed to play week in and week out. Um, and really try to develop those, those behaviors. Because I think those are the harder things. You know, you can find a player who's got good skills, but if they don't exemplify the behaviors that you want, I think that's a little harder to teach, especially when they're above the age of 23 or at the senior level. So we can imprint on them early um, and imprint those good habits and those good attributes, I think will be very successful. Teaching resilience is an interesting one, right? So yeah. that's, that's like one of those ones that's sort of like a little bit of the holy grail, right? Yeah. It's like, like if only I got this kid when he was 14, I could teach him to be more gritty, but actually it's, it's, it's hard. But it's, it's really fascinating the opportunity that you guys have to like think 10 years down the line about where this player could be in such a controlled environment. I think that's going to be a real advantage for the Arrows. Yeah, I, you know, thinking now that we could bring in a player at 16 and he could have almost seven years of development and still only be 23 um, when we, you know, we feel that that's probably the appropriate entry point uh, for the professional game. I think we'd like to see it probably go down to, you know, 18, 19, 20, like it is in, in other parts of the world. But, you know, our reality right now is probably 23 is, is a good entry point. So to have that much time, I think it's incredibly exciting for us as coaches, but you know, for players too. Uh, you know, every time I stand in front of a group of players, it's like now you have you have a way out. You have you have a a pathway. Like this is no longer, you know, it's still a ton of fun, but it's also like you have an opportunity here, um, which never existed. You know, certainly when I played or anything like that to, to play professionally. Yeah, the pot at the end of the rainbow is now something that's a reality rather than just this uh, ambition a lot of young rugby players had of I have to go overseas now there's exactly uh, right. I can yeah. stay home and I can study and play uh, mate Mike I want to talk a little bit about the talent you've got coming through uh, entering third season for the Arrows is there anyone in that pathway now or in that talent pool that you're in, you know particularly excited about that we could potentially see suiting up the Arrows in 2021 2022 2021, it'll be much of the, the, the same faces, but I think you'll see some of our, our younger players that maybe that weren't part of the academy, but have been sort of that younger group, like the Jack McRogers, the Mitch Richardsons, who are, again, the product of that Ontario University environment. 
Um, those guys have been a part of it. Um, Jack, especially, has been still focusing on school and then coming and, and, and playing with the Arrows in the winter. I, I think you'll see those guys start to um, uh, start to make their mark a little bit more. And then certainly coming through, we've had a few of our players that have trained with, um, with the, you know, in our small training session with the senior arrows. Um, guys by the name of Brent Ferguson, um, who's a very, very athletic winger, um, who unfortunately had a bit of an injury, so a bit of a setback there. Um, Paul Schroeder, another big uh, back, back three player. Um, and then working on developing some younger forwards. Um, obviously, th those guys take a little bit longer. Um, so I, I project a few of them, probably 23, uh, 23-24. And this one's just my own amusement. The Toronto Wolfpack are no more. What are the Arrows doing to capture that market? Apart from giving away free tickets, which is apparently the only reason they had fans in the first place. Uh, has that been discussed internally? Uh, obviously, it's a huge opportunity. As a code leaves town that, that did have some fans, uh, are you excited, A, to get a permanent home? Will, will you guys be moving over? Uh, is it Lamport, the, the biggest stadium there? And, yeah. and B, has there been an outreach to that fan base? Um, in terms of, I, I can't say for sure in terms of like where we'll play, you know, if we're taking that over or, or if there's been outreach to the fan base yet. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's always a shame when you see, especially because, you know, the North American market, people just hear rugby and they assume it's the same thing. Um, so the fact that they might have heard that a team is leaving, um, I think that's, that's disappointing. You never want to see that. That being said, they, they did create a very, very big following. Um, they, you know, the brand recognition for the Toronto Wolfpack was, was pretty good. Um, so I think there is an opportunity to, to pick up on that, uh, to say, if you like this rugby, you might like this, this, this style of rugby even more, um, to create an environment that they did, uh, which was an unbelievable beer garden, uh, and, and make a, a, make going out to a rugby game, a real, um, a real event. I think, I think if we can, if we can do similar things, we can be just as, just as successful, if not more. Uh, Corey, good stuff. I hope so. Uh, that get the, uh, the blue collared toothless mullet sporting mongrels from rugby league over there and get a little class. They're just a, a sweater around the shoulders and a Chardonnay away from showing a little, <laughs> little class, right. but appreciate you coming on the show. Next time you see, uh, Jamie McKenzie, give him a cuddle for me. Tell him I miss him and uh, stay warm through the long winter we'll months up do. there. Legend. We'll do With the Toronto arrows and, uh, Pete, some exciting stuff coming out of Toronto there. Yeah, I think I think what could, what Toronto can do is something that um, other teams can't do. You can see their success has been founded on the structures that were there before, um, and uh, you know th their transition from Ontario to Toronto, I think, has been handled really well. And I think it's laying out um, you know the success that they're going to have in the future. It's an, it, it's a really exciting model. It's going to be hard for anyone else to replicate, which is probably as a competitive advantage one of the most important things. And there you have it, Pete. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff from both our guests and exciting times. Uh, and again, good to see um, all these programs amid COVID being safe and being conscientious of, of the restrictions in place, but also getting back out there and getting the youth involved. And, and I'm sure everyone's starving for, for some form of participation sport as well after being locked down through the summer. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's um, a lot of, you know, if you're smart, there's things that you can do. Um, interestingly, in the UK, they've basically shut down sort of what you would call social or recreational rugby. And there's a big concern that they're going to lose players that will never come back. Right. So, you know, if you don't play for a year, you'll learn to do something else. 
Um, I don't think we have that that problem here. I think I think there's you know that there people are being smart in ways that they can involve their players, and I think and I think that's what we have to do. I think there's still obviously a lot of growth potential in the U.S. Um, and I think Major League Rugby is you know obviously becoming part of that. All right, time to jump into our around the ground segment. All the news from Major League Rugby, and uh, this one was the biggest news that hit my desk in probably the entire year. Pete Brad Tucker. He's on Twitter. Get out there. <laughs> Follow Brad Tucker on Twitter. Um, I, got to, I was one of his first followers too. Okay, I, do you have his handle? Yeah, hang on. I beat Jessamyn oh, McIntyre. Have you memorized his handle yet? I haven't. I, oh, man. Brad's like... I've been hanging out with, uh, with Sam Windsor. So I'm kind of like... don't want to say I'm cheating on Brad, but I'm kind of like playing the field a little lately. <laughs> so let me just... Pull it up real quick, but oh, obviously. Brad C. Yep. Tux. Yeah, Brad C. T-U-X Tux. Brad C. Tux. And uh, yes, he does follow me, people. So get out there and, and get him some follows. Get oh, the, cool. the... Thank you. That was um, MLR kickoff. Dan has got the one piece of news out that he wants, and now we're all good to go. So, um, well, I'm, I'm happy for you that, that Brad is now on Twitter and that you can fawn over him in yet another social media channel. Thank you, Pete. All right, let's keep moving along. The MLR Movember Partnership. Obviously, Movember is a long-standing uh, fundraiser and awareness campaign uh, for men's health. And uh, a lot of the players have jumped on. So get onto the Instagram, onto the socials for MLR, and you'll see a lot of that. Uh, Pete, good to see you've started as well, a, a full weekend looking Looking furry there, buddy. Uh, yeah, I, you know, work's busy, which requires me to be, you know, with clients on Zoom calls. I'm not sure that, like, uh, you know, half-grown moustache is gonna is is gonna work for that. But I, but but I love it. You know, it, this is one of the things where you realise that, you know, for being a professional athlete gives you a chance to do things like this. That maybe yeah, the, the other, you know, it's a little bit easier as a professional athlete, I think, to do it than maybe those of us that have, you know. More real, real jobs, whatever they are. Yeah, the interface with clients can sometimes, uh, it's a tough explanation why you have it a half grown mustache on your face. But it is good to see so many players and staff around the league getting behind that as a great cause. So make sure you support that. And maybe uh, Pete and I can think of a challenge that we can do. So get on the socials and any ideas. Uh, I'm just. I, I, no, I don't like the sound of this. I was not part of this decision for us to come Let's up see. with a challenge. As you see, it, it's going to require a hefty donation to a worthy cause. But whatever uh, hey, you guys I, say. I, I think I'd prefer to make a hefty donation to a worthy cause than have to have any of the challenges that are going on in your <laughs> Not me. It's the fans. They'll decide what happens. Yeah, I'm not sure I trust them anymore. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, next time you see Peter game, folks, just let him know exactly how you feel about him. Basically talking down to you all. But DC, <laughs> old glory, changing, changing path yet again. They've moved. They've left Catholic University and they're headed out to Loudoun County. Segrafield, which is one of the feeder teams for, I believe, uh, DC soccer team play out there. Yeah, it's, you know, this, yeah this, is, this is one of the really interesting um, decisions because there's going to be a bit of a follow-on, right? So, so one of the challenges is that no one's quite sure what's going to go on in the spring. 
in terms of sports for colleges, right? So if Catholic University needs to use those fields more because they've canceled sports in the fall and they want to play them in the spring, that's, that's a problem. Um, this is a beautiful facility. I mean, it is an absolutely beautiful, it's like, you know, good size for Major League Rugby, but it's outside of DC proper, right? So it's outside of um, 495. And, you know, there's, there's, it's hard to pick up more fans in the suburbs than you lose because people have to drive a lot across the city. And DC is one of those places where it's not easy to get across, you know, so maybe a 45 minute drive now became an hour and a half. But, you know, it's certainly an, an interesting test. So in terms of the facility and for, you know, for you and me, Dan, the way it looks on TV, um, you know, I think the crowds were great at Catholic, but there were lots of lines on the field. I think, I think there were lots of concerns about that. So it's definitely um, a, uh, um, uh, you know, a, a beautiful facility to play. But can they, can they get the crowds that far out of DC? That'll be the question. Yeah, that is always a tough one, isn't it? Because you, you, we've seen it before. Uh, the sports fan can be quite fickle when it comes to travel. And it's, it's going to be, it'll be an interesting test of, of the fan base that they had built up during the initial five games this year. Yeah. And, and one of the things that, you know, one of the questions is always, is it near public transport or the Metro? And I know that, um, in London, if you go to a Saracens game in Alliance um, Field in, in London, um, it's not near the, the tube, but Saracens run buses. So they run buses that go back and forth. So, you know, you get there, you come out of the tube. I've done it a few times. There's a bus right there. You jump on the bus, it takes you to the stadium. Afterwards, the buses are running back and forth. So there's lots of ways to be able to make it a little bit easier for fans. But, you know, I mean, it's always good to be closer to the center of the city, but we know closer to the center of the city is an expensive proposition. And, um, you know, it's, it's a great facility. And I think we might see more, you know, we saw it with Austin being out at Round Rock. Like, you know, facilities is, is going to be an ongoing challenge for MLR teams and one that, you know, they need to find a good solution for. Yeah, that is true. And it's just going to be a juggling act until we sort of get our uh, hooks into the sporting public here. Other news uh, released last night was the Rugby 101 with our good friend Shalom Suniula. Um, he, he was impressive, Pete. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it yet. It, it literally released a few hours ago as, as we're doing the podcast. But uh, Lomi, looking like a future star uh, there. Just he's like, you know, he, he's a, I think, I think Shalom is, Shalom's someone that can have a big impact on the game. I mean, he did it while he was at Adivus. Um, he's now a director on USA Rugby, um, on the USA Rugby's board. So I think that he's, I mean, he presents well, right? He, he speaks well. And, um, you know, we need more fans. And rugby's not an easy game to understand. So the more that we can put out content that, um, you know, can can help grow the game. I mean, I think rugby one-on-one is one of those things that if you're a major league rugby fan, you know, identify five of your friends that you think you can turn into fans, send them rugby one-on-one. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, if two of them decide out of the five that they want to start watching rugby and come to a rugby game, then that's the big impact. So we have to do our part to grow the game and help MLR become able. Well, and also out of that five, just get another two to watch it on TV. Yeah. That helps as well. Yeah. It's so accessible now with... Uh, you know, the, the CBS Sports deal, extending the Fox Sports deal, and then obviously ESPN having it on the streaming platform, but also ESPN News this past year. Um, 
yeah, bring two to a game and two on TV. Thank you. Please and thank you. All right, let's do some coaching announcements. Our good friend Alex Corbacero and Reni IE have been named as assistant coaches at the, I'm going to say, at the LA Giltinis. Um, shaken, not stirred. How sad was that on another note, Sean Connery passing the original James Bond? Oh, the original and the best. Yeah, I was going to say. I, I, actually, I, I quite like Daniel Craig. But... I'm a Daniel Craig fan, as we again go into pop culture. But um, this no, seems I, to I be... like Daniel Craig, but like I, I grew up on Sean, you know, I grew up on, uh, on Sean Connery. That's the, that's the guy. I mean, even when he was like really old, balding and gray and fat, he was still the best James Bond. There's hope for me yet. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> All right. And Rugby Ontario have signed an official partnership with the Toronto Animal Junior Academy. We just talked to uh, a Corey about that as well. So that's great news coming out. All right, Pete, let's do some signings. Rugby ATL, we spoke to Scott Lawrence. They've been busy. Uh, Damon Torres and Rowan Gauss, they sign. And the worst kept secret in MLR was Bryce Campbell going to Austin. Uh, Will McGee's social media account just had him playing golf and hanging out with Bryce in Texas and didn't take much to put two and two together and figure out where he was going. But I love this signing for the Gilgroni. Strengthens that midfield for them significantly. You had the return of Frank Halai as well. Bryce Campbell, no nonsense, tough center. He's going to be a good fit there. Well, I think, I think the really cool thing about the um, signing of Bryce Campbell is actually it's the repatriation of American players. See someone that was playing overseas and the fact that MLR is bringing them back, I think is a good sign, right? It's like an opportunity to come back and to, um, and to keep playing here. So, Yeah, it is. Also in Texas, Robbie Petzer, who was one of the stars for the Colorado Raptors. He signs with the Dallas Jackals. So his deal in Japan uh, affected by obviously COVID-19. So he will come back to Major League Rugby with the Jackals. I love this signing, Pete. I thought... Probably one of their best and most consistent players was Robbie Petzer. Oh, I'm, I'm all over it. Like, play, can play 10, can play 12, can kick. Um, I, I, you know, when, when he played 12, I really thought that that made their whole back line click. I mean, he can take the ball at pace. He can handle at the line. I mean, I think he's a real quality player, and I think it's going to be a big step, you know, a big, um, a big asset for Dallas. Yeah, I... I... I know he has ambition to play 10. He's played a lot of 10. But I seem to agree with you. I think 12 is his spot, provided that he has a 10 that lets him get some good early ball and, and play a little bit and be creative with it as well. So, well, I think, I, think, I, think, I think the modern game requires you to have two playmakers, right? And so that's either 10 and 12 or at 10 and 15. But you've got to have players either side of the ruck. And, and, and you know, so where, where you may not stand at 10 from the set piece doesn't mean you're not first receiver. And I think the you know I think that that's like you'll see him at first receiver a lot even if he's playing twelve. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Jossie Deny he shines as well as um, they continue announcing players down there in Dallas getting forward to twenty twenty one over to DC. Callum Gibbons comes over from the Glasgow Warriors, so another good international signing and the Scottish pipeline. Obviously, uh, not only financially but also in talent as well is uh, open and flowing between Scotland and DC there. Pete, any thought on Callum Givens? Another, well, again, anytime you get a professional player, it's a good pickup. 
Yeah, and I think this is, you know, DC has consistently leveraged their relationship with the Scottish Rugby Union. A little bit like we talked about with Corey earlier, there's um, a bit of a competitive advantage that um, Toronto have with their relationship with Ontario. I think this is a competitive advantage with DC. And so I think bringing um, players that have professional experience over to be able to lift the level of play, I think, is is, is good. And DC have shown that every year they've, They've had they've sent players over and they've brought players back and I think that's uh, really valuable for them. And a couple of Canadians also coming down into the MLR will be Liam Murray and Crosby Stewart both signing with the Houston Sabercats. And this is this is what you know it was interesting following on our conversation with Corey about uh, BC. You know British Columbia and Ontario are the two hotbeds, but British Columbia traditionally has had the better men's rugby and has the better league. Right, they have a very the BC League is very very good. There's still a lot of very good players that are out there that aren't in MLR. You know, Vancouver. If there's any investors like out there, Vancouver is a place that I think could be a great MLR franchise. I think we talked about this before. I think it's you know, I think it's the best one of the best open spots along with like a place like Chicago um, for an expansion um, an expansion uh, um, team. But I think we're going to see more of some of these BC guys come down into the US. There's not enough spots. You know, we actually heard Corey be like, hey, the team's kind of set for like this year and kind of next year. Like Toronto know what they have. So the BC guys that want to play professionally are going to have to come into the US. And that's what you're seeing with Houston with the pickup of um, Murray and Stewart. Yeah, I agree. And uh, some more extensions coming in. We'll stay up in the, uh, the northwest of the continent and Seattle started making some announcement recently. Tim Metcher returns. So this will be uh, his fourth year. He was in the inaugural yep. year. So fourth year with them as... Many, a, many people would argue that Tim Metcher won the very first... Um, I think that's a fair point. That's, that's really <laughs> yeah, point. He was so dominant. And also, has there been anyone else that has changed Major League Rugby as much as Tim Metcher by being such a dominant prop that all of a sudden everyone went out and got dominant props? I mean, Paddy Ryan, fun. Tendai Matawira, yeah. they all started coming over. So, um, yeah, no, it's a, I, I think that's a fair point, Pete. I think he, he did. He's, uh, he, he changed the way that I think everyone looked at how you put a team together in year two. And it was yeah. like, hey, we need a front row. We need a set yeah. piece to, to dominate and we'll compete with Seattle. So he comes back, as does point scoring machine Brock Staller out on the wing and just the spark plug Eric Buchel, who... Uh, well, I mean, what a great guy. What a great story. I mean, this is a guy kind of like at the end of his career, but he still has a lot to give. And every time, like, I love the idea of Spark, Spark Plug. When he steps on the field as a sub, and no one really wants to be like a sub, or I guess finisher as they're now called. But he's like, every time he steps on the field as a sub, you know where he is and he's an impact. I love using that term finisher because you just know it's going to wind people up who hate it. So <laughs> a little antagonistic there, but it's always good fun. Nola, they extend Dino Waldron. So good things happening down in New Orleans there as they continue to build that forward pack. Yeah, another front row. So, you know, we, this, I think that Nola still looks back on, um, on, you know, the season when, you know, was it season two where they did really well, um, had front row injuries, weren't able to recover. Um, it is absolutely important. I think Dino Waldron's a great, it was a great find for them last year and, and extending him, I think, is, is big. Another example of Nola kind of investing in US eligible players too. Yep, absolutely. Dino out of St. Mary's, uh, been playing overseas for a little stint before coming back 
Elisa San Diego for the back end of uh, 2019 and heading down to New Orleans and staying put. Uh, we'll move up to DC. Mr. Summertime, Mungo Jerry Mason. He resigns and extends, as does unbelievable talented uh, Jason Robinson, the fly half up there. Uh, two huge pieces of the puzzle here oh, for man. DC. Both players outstanding in 2020. And it's great to see both of them come back. Well, you know, I thought um, Mungo Mason was just a huge impact player. I mean, it was just, he was, he was one of the keys in, in getting go forward with that pack. And, and, you know, his mobility and physicality is good. But I'm with you. Jason Robertson, I mean, that guy's got talent. I, I think, like, it's one of those examples where um, if he was 5'10 or 5'11, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be here, right? Because he's too good. But he's 5'7. And when you look at, like, super rugby and you look at, you know, like the top levels of, of you know, the professional game at five, seven, you're probably just a little bit too, fl- too small at fly half. Like you can be protected a little bit, but you know, what a talent that guy um, watching him play. That's just fun. It's yeah. Fun. And you look at the size of like international tens as well. And it trickles down into, you know, the, the super rugby and provincial right. rugby. So, but there are players and we, I think we, we both agree on like Sam Malcolm was in the same boat right? for the yep. Arrows. Amazing talent, probably a little undersized to to take the you know the wear and tear of Super Rugby, but too good to not be playing professional rugby. So right. you know that we'll, we'll take them because they're they're exciting players to watch. Well, well, before we go, Dan, I, I just want to say you've gone the whole show and you haven't mentioned the Bledisloe Cup. You haven't mentioned Australia beating New Zealand. I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, like, are you like after the slacking the year before, like the week before, and the heartbreak the week before that? Did you not watch it? Did you not follow it? Well, under the under the watchful eye of my New Zealand friends, I'll have to say that even a blind squirrel can find a nut sometimes. And we don't win the Bledisloe. It was a very young New Zealand side. I thought the the red cards kind of took a little bit away from the contest. Um, so I'll take the win. Brisbane's been a pretty good hunting ground for the Wallabies too. That that Suncorp Stadium, formerly Lang Park, is probably one of the nicest fields I've ever played on as well. It's a rugby-specific stadium built to keep the noise in. It's it's a great coliseum for the sport. So uh, yeah, I'll take the victory, but by no means would I get excited or carried away. I think the future under Dave Rennie looks very bright for Australia. If they continue to develop and grow, there's some great players coming through. But Swinton looked really, really good up until his red card. And that's, I think, going to fit that style and ethos of, I think, all through, you know, you and I talked during the earlier test matches and it was like, you know, you can't New Zealand, New Zealand. It's just not possible. You've got to play almost, the reason the French have success is they play so, you know, unconventional that New Zealand then become uncomfortable and try to do things and, that's the only way I feel like you compete with the All Blacks, but uh, well, I think yeah. I think the uh, I think the um, I'll go back to the first test and the asymmetry of winning. So that first test that was a tie, right? The uh, both teams had a chance to kick a drop goal to win it. New Zealand didn't need to win it because they were probably going to win again. But in that situation, you have that one chance, and you're the Wallabies. You have to kick that drop goal. Like, like there's, there's an asymmetry in what winning means. And therefore you like both teams shouldn't have played the right tactics. And I, you know, I feel like I, 
And I think Nick White was on the field at that point. I think they'd subbed him. I feel like maybe if he was on the field, they would have done that. They, they missed that, that leadership because winning that first game would have changed the Bledisloe Cup, right? It would have changed it fundamentally. Um, and it would have changed the mindset of the Wallabies. So the Wallabies yet again go through a Bledisloe Cup with um, New Zealand being like, oh, we're so close. Oh, man, we can compete. Like as someone who's coached US teams, like you get sick of like being able to compete against New Zealand. Like we, yeah. well, we competed for 60 minutes. You're like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So it's sort of like, I, I know, I, I, think, I think it was an interesting series and it's great that we, you know, we, we can talk about that. that. And I, I agree with you about Rennie. I think New Zealand, look, I mean, Australia looked good, but they were ways away from consistently being competitive. Yeah, I think uh, big things coming out this, that first test was, was not a draw for Australia. It was a loss. Um, and that's the way to look at it. And the other one is I think Bowden Barrett may be a 15 going forward for the All Blacks. Um, just didn't think that the, the back line looked as dynamic without uh, Richie Monga playing, not being out there. And, and you know, Geordie just looked a little bit less dynamic than his brother. So maybe Geordie finds his home on the wing there. But, man, that, uh, like Caleb Clark, he's still got uh, Rico Ernie. You know, he made a, a good return to the starting side on the weekend. You've just got this plethora of talents. Just, oh, it's so jealous. It's so good. It is. It is. All right. Thanks for thanks for throwing me that softball and giving me a little chance to gloat in the the one win that we got. When's England playing? Let's stay on that one. When when when's England? Oh, playing? you mean you mean the Six Nations champions? Yeah. When when <laughs> who they got next in the uh, Georgia, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's going to be interesting with Georgia. Like, I I don't know. I mean, you know, everything you can see it like in college football here and the NFL, and it, you know, everyone is like all over the place in terms of like their preparation. But it'd be great for Georgia to step up in the in the you know in the Nations Cup, whatever it's called this fall, um, just to demonstrate that they can compete and see if they can open the door into the Six Nations and make it a Sevens Nations, or or relegation nations, so or relegation also, nations. <laughs> also, the discussion. So poor Italy, just sitting there going, "Don't do, make it seven. Don't relegate us." But yeah, all right, Pete. That wraps up another great show. Just remember, folks, to go shop at shopmlr.com, powered by the Rugby Shop for all your MLR apparel needs. This has been the MLR Kickoff Podcast. For Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro, I'm Dan Powell. We'll see you next time.